Well, will you please stand with me and turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. I want you to think as we read, I'm not going to give it away beforehand. Think about what's the relationship between Acts 20, the portion we're going to read, and Joshua 23. What do these two passages have in common? And then I'll give you the answer at the beginning of the sermon. So Acts 20, verse 17. Let's pray once again as we prepare to hear God's word. Our Father in heaven, like the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and sprout and give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Lord, you've promised that your word will be just like that, that it will not return to you empty, but it will accomplish that which you purpose, purpose and succeed in the thing that you sent it out to do. And we ask that you would make that true among us tonight. May your living and active word uh, do a powerful work in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts 20, beginning at verse 17. Now, from Miletus, he, Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews." How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken, that 
they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. All right. Now, let's turn and listen to Joshua 23. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years. And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off, from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land, just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you, or make mention of the names of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations, And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them, so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. And now I am about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you, Not one of them has failed, but just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you, if you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given to you. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so what do you think? How is, how is Acts 20 parallel to Joshua 23? So in Acts 20, what's happening there? Apostle Paul gathers the elders in Ephesus, and he tells him, I'm about to leave, and you're not going to see me again. You're about to enter a new period of time where I'm not, I'm not going to be here anymore to lead you. And what I want you to do then, elders, I want you to remember, first of all, the past that we've shared together by God's grace. I want you to look forward to the future with hope in the promises of God. I want you to watch out, alert, 
against threats to the integrity of the church under your charge. I want you to commit yourself to faithful obedience to the words of the Lord Jesus. And I hope that sounds familiar because it's very, very similar to what we've just read in Joshua 23. This uh, Joshua's, some people have called it a farewell address. One of two final addresses that Joshua is going to give, one in chapter 23, one in chapter 24. In this particular one, Joshua wants the people he's addressing, uh, he assembles the elders, he wants them to remember the past that they've shared together by God's grace. He wants them to look forward to the future with hope in the promises of God. He wants them to watch out, alert against threats to the integrity of the covenant community. He wants them to commit themselves to faithful obedience to the word of the Lord. I think it's neat to set these two chapters side by side since we have these these two very godly, faithful men, two of the great leaders in Bible history of God's people. We get this profound insight into their hearts as they have these last words, these final things to say to the generation that they're leaving behind to continue serving the Lord when they're gone. And we can see the thousands of years between them, how similar between Joshua and Paul, how similar are their priorities, how similar are their commitments, their warnings, and their trust, perhaps most of all, in the same Lord, who was the same then in the time of Joshua and the time of Paul, yesterday, today, and forever. And uh, you'll get a morning sermon on Acts 20 eventually, Lord willing, but tonight the text is Joshua 23. And so we're going to divide it under three headings. First will be the faithful God, verses 1 through 5. Second will be fidelity to God, verses 6 to 13. And third will be the fear of God, verses 14 to 16. So for the faithful God, fidelity to God, and the fear of God. First, the faithful God. All right, verse 1, Joshua is old and advanced in years. Uh, and as he says later, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. He's speaking of his own death. Um, and interestingly, uh, more than one writer notes this, that, that sets up a very close connection, um, even closer than, much closer between Joshua 23 and, and Acts, um, between Joshua 23 and really the entire book of Deuteronomy. Uh, yet another farewell from another great leader of God's people. Um, that's what the book of Deuteronomy is. It's Moses's final words to Israel. You might say that Joshua is kind of following that pattern, following the example of his mentors. He covers many of the same kinds of themes in his last messages to Israel. So like Moses, um, the first thing that Joshua wants them to do, and you can see this in Deuteronomy chapter 1, first thing Joshua wants them to do is to look back. He says, you have seen, you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. That's a pretty good summary of the first 12 chapters of Joshua. Um, remember chapter 10, verse 42, it says, Joshua captured all these kings and their land at one time because why? Because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. You remember that great quote from Ralph Davis? So he said, Joshua did not fight the battle of Jericho. <laughs> kind of ironically, because, uh, well, who did fight the battle of Jericho? 
Israel didn't fight that battle. The Lord fought that battle. All they did was march around the city and shout and blow some trumpets and then march up straight before them over the ruins of the walls that had come tumbling down at the Lord's sovereign command. Those are not acts of war that Israel did. They were acts of worship. Walls came tumbling down because the commander of the Lord's army that Joshua had met was, in fact, the Lord himself was at war on Israel's behalf. God was at war. Um, After that, Israel did, in fact, fight many battles. But even then, even when they were actually, you know, charging themselves with swords drawn, um, still, throughout the conquest, the Battle of Jericho was the paradigm. It was the first volley where the, the Lord was showing, this is, this is my war, this is my victory. The battle belongs to the Lord. Um, verse 4 goes on then. So we have that summary of chapters 1 to 12, but then he says, Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain along with all the nations that I have already cut off. So verse 3 sums up chapters 1 to 12. Verse 4 kind of sums up chapters 13 to 21, kind of the second uh, half, almost half of the book. Uh, These are kind of the two big divisions of Joshua. First, the conquest of the land, and second, the allotment of the land. Uh, We spent a lot more time on the conquest. We've kind of breezed through the last few weeks to the second half much more quickly than the first. But those are the two big divisions in Joshua's reflecting on those two elements of of, uh, his work, his leadership in the land of Canaan from um, the crossing of the Jordan until this day. Now, in light of that past then, so Joshua's... Joshua's teaching them to look to the past. But in light of that past, Joshua now wants them to look forward. He wants them to look to the future. And what he wants them to do is he wants them to trust. He wants them to trust that what God has done for them in the past, he's going to continue to do on into the future. And he's going to continue to do it even after Joshua is no longer there to lead them personally. Because it's not Joshua who's been giving the victory. It's the Lord. He says... The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. If you were an Israelite, you might think, oh no, if Joshua's gone, how are we going to keep making progress in the conquest? How are we going to continue this work? Uh, As though Israel's success in the conquest depended on this great leader they had, Joshua the celebrity. I know Joshua's saying, it's the Lord who is given you victory so far, and he's the only one, not me, he's the one who can continue to give you victory as you complete the work that he's given you to do. Um, or to put it another way, Joshua's basically telling them, it's, it, telling them it's grace that's brought you safe thus far, and it's grace that will lead you home. He who began a good work in you, Israel, will be faithful to complete it. It's his work. I'm going to be gone, but he's going to remain the same. I love the end of Psalm 102, where it would pray to the Lord, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same. And your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. And it is that that eternity of God. It is his never-changing, never-fading 
character. And we need to get into our imaginations as the people of God if we, if we want to go on trusting that, yes, be still my soul, your God will undertake to guide the future as he has the past. And so your hope, your confidence, let nothing shake. It was Joshua's message for Israel, it's the message for us, because the Lord is still the same. That history of his work in the past should point us with trust, hope, faith to the future. Now, in in verse 6, Joshua draws a conclusion from all of this. He says, therefore, therefore what? Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. So we've talked about the faithfulness of God. Now we're turning to number two, fidelity to God. Um, God's unchanging faithfulness to us uh, calls us to something. It calls us to what? It calls us to renew our, frankly, very changeable faithfulness to him. But he's calling us to renew it. It's what God's word does. It brings us back. So when Joshua says, be very strong, uh, what does that remind you of? It should remind you of chapter one, where, where it all began. Be strong and courageous was God's commission to Joshua. And that was repeating what Moses had already told Joshua, as well as the whole nation at uh, the end of Deuteronomy. Be strong and courageous. And now Joshua is repeating that same message now to the entire nation. And he's exhorting them to stand firm in their commitment to obedience to the Lord. And so we might ask, well, what does uh, being strong look like? What's the shape of that? What's that strong fidelity to God's law look like? And um, we could say a couple things about it. First of all, he says it's, it's, it's carefully following God's path, God's way. The Bible often talks about God's law as a, as a path, a road, a way of faithfulness. And on either side of that pathway of obedience, there are always deep ditches that you can fall into, whether you go to the left or whether you go to the right these ditches of disobedience. And according to our personality, we might be inclined to one or the other. What the Lord is saying, don't turn to the left or to the right. You go straight ahead. You follow this path of righteousness that the Lord has laid out for you in his word. We're always being tempted to depart from God's way. One way or another, and Joshua says, stay on the path. Follow God's direction diligently, without distraction, without getting sidetracked, falling into those ditches of disobedience. Second thing we can say about this strong fidelity to God's law is that it looks like this pure loyalty, this pure loyalty to God alone. And so as Joshua goes on, he warns them against mixing together, blending in with the remaining Canaanites in the land instead of driving them out like they're supposed to do. If you mix with them, Joshua says, you might think, well, maybe they'll become more like us. And, of course, that's not what's going to happen. Joshua's saying, you're just going to become more like them. You're going to become indistinguishable. You're going to start speaking their language and sharing their outlook on life. He's warning them against getting assimilated. He's warning them against losing what makes them distinct, what makes Israel Israel and not some other nation. And what is that? What is it that makes Israel Israel was that they belong to the Lord. It's that they're in covenant, in a covenant relationship with the one true God who is their God. That's what makes Israel different. 
And so, what's the opposite then of assimilating with the Canaanites? Well, he says, it's to cling to the Lord your God. Cling, he says, verse 8, to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. Love him, verse 11. It's another way of saying the same thing, which, of course, is exactly how the great commandment of Deuteronomy chapter 6 sums up um, the, the whole human side of that covenant relationship with God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and you shall love that Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, Moses told them. That is this, this, this single-minded, this laser-beam-focused, intent, devoted loyalty to God that Joshua's talking about here. And that's what's going to keep Israel from being assimilated by their neighbors and becoming just another Canaanite nation. Constant danger throughout Israel's history. And that, and that really is the alternative, right? To having Israel be Israel in covenant with God. The alternative is that assimilation. Verse 8 says, cling to the Lord your God. Uh, verse 12 warns about what's going to happen if they cling instead the alternative, cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you. There are two things they can cling to, either to the Lord or to the remnant of the nations. Uh, And particularly, that would look like intermarrying with them. Um, And he says, if you do that, if you you lose your distinctiveness, if you lose what makes you different, if you lose what makes Israel Israel, well, then here's what you can expect. What you can expect is the Lord will no longer drive out these nations before you. They're going to become a snare and a trap for you. They're going to be a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground. And so what Joshua's doing here is he's setting before Israel these two options, the option of assimilation on the one hand, and on the other hand, the option of a pure devotion, loyalty to God. And so Israel faces that crossroads in every generation, And as they face it in this generation, this time of transition when Joshua is about to leave the scene, Joshua on this day is calling these leaders to be very strong, loyal and devoted, clinging and loving the Lord their God. It reminds me of another great passage in Scripture where God's people are called to be strong. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Ephesians 6, of course, put on the whole armor of God, Paul says, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That's our calling as God's people. Uh, Living out our lives right in the middle of this cosmic firefight of spiritual forces going on around us every day. We need to be reminded, as Joshua reminded Israel, that it's the Lord who fights for us, first of all, we also needed to need to be reminded not just not only to trust in the Lord's strength, but also we need to be reminded that we are to be strong. And I think, well, how how can you just tell somebody to be strong? Because we're not strong, we're weak. And and in fact it's essential to being a Christian to admit our weakness that we can't do these things uh, under our own strength. And of course, Joshua understands that, and Paul understands that. So that's why Paul goes on in that passage to say, be strong, how? Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the strength of his might as you put on his armor that he gives to you that you can never forge for yourself. If all we had was Joshua 23 and then the later history of Israel, uh, we might... We might 
think that maybe it's just hopeless because Israel wasn't strong, were they? All you have to do is turn to the book of Judges a couple pages over. No, Israel was not strong. They didn't, they didn't fulfill this commission, essentially. They were weak. They failed. They, in fact, did become like the nations around them. At many times in their history, they did not keep God's law. They went off to the right and to the left all the time. And that waywardness of Israel is the same waywardness that we can see in our own hearts. And that weakness of Israel is the same weakness that we can see in our own hearts. We are not strong. And that's why it's so important that we seek this strength from the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. It gives us the strength that we do not naturally possess. And ultimately, it's going to be the Lord who keeps you in his way. It is his guardrails, his hand of providence and preservation that's going to keep you on that straight path, the path of his word. And it's the Lord who's going to keep you distinct, who's going to keep you holy, who's going to keep you different, who's going to keep you set apart for him. That's the only way it can work. Um, but, of course, just because it's, we, we acknowledge this, that it's the Lord's strength that we're depending on, that doesn't mean that we have nothing to do, that we're just supposed to sit back and do nothing. No, God is calling us. There's a reason there's an imperative here. There's a reason there's an exhortation to Israel and to us to be strong. We need to actively be going out and opening our hands and receiving by faith that strength that God gives us by putting on that gospel armor and by by consciously making an effort in the Christian life by the grace of God to stay different, set apart from God. When, when the natural currents of the world that we live in will cause us to drift, if we just do nothing, we will drift into conformity. It's like being in a boat where there's a current. If you stop rowing, you don't stay still. You go where the current is taking you. And that's what it's like to live in a secular culture where... We're living month of June is labeled by so many as Pride Month. And what this is an example of is what we're hearing about in adult Sunday school this morning, not only that um, the world is seeking for, for toleration, for uh, sin against God, but for celebration. The world is seeking for you to, to celebrate things that God says are wrong. And so... If you simply do nothing, you drift with the current of culture, you will change. You're being, being taught and discipled by the world all of the time through the world's rituals, through... I read a wonderful article this past week. It was talking about the, the control of space and time that all different kinds of people are always trying to achieve to shape people's imaginations. And this is what's happening all around us. The world is trying to control space, control time... And it's not just the month of June either. Really, every month of the year is Pride Month for the world. And because there's all kinds of pride that we take in our rebellion against God of every imaginable stripe. And that uh, drift is always occurring. And so how do we respond to this as God's people? Well, this passage is calling us to be strong. It's calling us to consciously stay different, loyal, set-apart, for God um, to be rowing against the current and not just waiting for the boat to drift and hoping that God will keep us in the same place.
I love, I don't know if you've ever seen these bumper stickers that people from Austin, Texas will drive around with. And they say, keep Austin weird. <laughs> I love those. Um, and I think that's kind of something like what Joshua is telling Israel here. It's the charge that Jesus gave to his disciples too. Keep the church, maybe not weird, um, but, but different. Jesus, what Jesus said was keep the church salty. Don't lose your salty flavor. Don't lose that distinctive taste that makes you different from the world around you. Because, why? Because you belong to the Lord. It makes you different. And your duty in response to his faithfulness to you is to cling diligently and tightly in faith to him, knowing that it's only his strength that keeps your grasp in place. Uh, one thing Joshua says here, he talks about clinging to the Lord. He talks about being careful to love the Lord your God. That's verse 11. Be care- very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. I want to reflect on that a little bit. Let me ask you, are you very careful? Are you very careful to love God? You can say, yeah, of course I love God. That's what it means to be a Christian, right? I, you, you, we love God. But are you very careful to love him? Because that's a little bit of a different thing. You may say that you love your husband or your wife. Of course I love my husband. Of course I love my wife. But, but what if I asked you, are you very careful to love your spouse? It's a little bit different, isn't it? The, the little details of the things that make them happy and feel at peace or the, the, the rigorous commitment to, to purity in your heart and your eyes and your fantasies and your feelings and the, the diligent... Uh, Attending, attending to their needs and this sensitive um, attendance to their, to their feelings. That, that's what it would look like to be very careful to love your spouse. And so that's not the same as just, well, do you have this generic kind of love? The love that, for God that Joshua is talking about, the love that Christ calls you into, welcomes you into in the gospel, is a careful love for God. Conscious, diligent, exclusive, devoted love for God. And so, yes, if you're a Christian, I know you love God. But, but what might it look like for us as individuals for us to grow together as a church in being very careful to love him? It reminds me of what Paul said in that farewell address, how about he was careful to declare, I can't refuse the word careful, but how he, is, he was declaring to the Ephesian church in his ministry there the whole counsel of God careful to look at all the scriptures. We want to be as faithful to the Lord as we can by his grace, according to all that he's revealed. Well, finally, let's turn to the last section, verses 14 to 16, the fear of God. Um, Joshua, we could say he doesn't end this particular speech on a very upbeat note. Uh, But the, the warning that he ends with here is very important. And it boils down to this, that God's faithfulness uh, cuts both ways. God's faithfulness cuts both ways. He is faithful both to the promises and to the sanctions, both to the blessings and to the curses of the covenant. Something we saw in the Garden of Eden with Adam. God was faithful in the covenant of works. And Adam was cast out. God is a God of both judgment and salvation. He's a God of salvation for those who respond in faith to the promises of the covenant and devote themselves in loyalty to him. But he's a God of judgment 
for those who reject him and will not live with him as their king. And why is that? Well, it's for the same reason. It's because of the same attribute of God, that God is righteous. Right? That salvation and that judgment both proceed from the unchanging, really full-orbed character of God. And this is what Moses said in Deuteronomy 9, when he said, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. And if you were going to write that, uh, you know, get a print of that and put it on the wall in your house, that's where you would stop. I guarantee it. Or, but should we? Because that's not the end of the sentence. He's the faithful God who keeps covenant to those who love him to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. Maybe you won't put that on the wall of your house. We must keep those ideas together. He's the faithful God who does both those things. Both those things are true for the same reason, because God is faithful. So Joshua reminds these leaders that up to this point, not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. And that's great, right? It is great. It's wonderful. And that that was the wonderful conclusion of chapter 21. Not one word failed. All came to pass. But in verse 15 here, Joshua says, but guess what that means? If God was faithful about the blessings, if God followed through on the promises, he will also follow through on the curses if you give him occasion to do so by rebelling against him. Not one word of all those curses will fail. That's a very serious and sobering thing for God's people to remember. And so once again, we come up hard here against the threat of God's faithfulness. We usually don't think of it that way, right? Great is thy faithfulness. It's a great comfort. And it should be a great comfort to the people of God because he's faithful to his promises. He's a faithful savior, but he's also a faithful judge. And we must never forget that. And so we might think, how can this be good news? Uh, how How can it be good news that God is faithful? Because when we look at ourselves, what do we see? We look at ourselves, oh, I see a covenant breaker, not a covenant keeper. That's who we are by nature. We've broken God's law. We've fallen short of his glory. We haven't walked in consistent loyalty and love for him. We've gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. We have earned not the blessings of the covenant that come through obedience. We have earned the covenant curses many times over. And day by day, we, by our thoughts and our words and our actions, we add to that burden that we, might, we could face. Because of the faithfulness of God. And here we come face to face with that terrible reality that God is indeed faithful to his warnings. He cannot ignore our sin. He must follow through on his promise to deal with evil in the world and in us. And so where does that leave us? It leaves us realizing that we do not deserve an inheritance the promised land of heaven any more than Israel deserved an inheritance in the promised land of Canaan. Instead, like they did, we deserve to perish quickly. We deserve to perish quickly because of the anger of the Lord kindled against us on account of our sin. But as Paul says in another place, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Think of what he says in Romans 3, that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us.
For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. It's actually Galatians. He bore our sins in his body on the cross. And so, yes, this is the Romans. Uh, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But what does it go on to say? But we're justified. God counts us. He considers us righteous in spite of ourselves. In spite of the curse that we have earned. How by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, and there's, there's a reason what I'm going for here, whom God put forward as a propitiation, that, that sacrifice that satisfies its judgment, turns it away by his blood to be received by faith. And listen to how Paul concludes there in Romans chapter 3. Why did God do all of this for us? Why did God send his son? Why did Jesus die on the cross and bear that penalty our sins deserved? It was to show God's righteousness. It was to show God's righteousness in a manifold way, a two-sided way, at least we could say. What, did, what Jesus did on the cross shows us God's righteousness, but not just in one way. It shows us his righteousness in two ways. It makes the way for God to be, Paul says there, both just and the justifier. Both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so what that means is that in the Lord Jesus Christ, God has been faithful fully faithful to everything that he said in his word. He's faithful both to the promises and to the warnings, to the blessings and the curses of the covenant. And yet, we've been spared that judgment. Why? Because God himself, a coming man, bore that sin for us and bore that curse for us in himself. Take that curse away so we could experience the blessing instead. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Lord Jesus, think about all these charges that Joshua gives to Israel here. Who has done any of these things, much less all of them? And the answer is the Lord Jesus, who's the one who loved God perfectly with all of his heart, who clung to God the Father in that exclusive loyalty and devotion at every moment of his life. It's Lord Jesus who never turned to the right or to the left from God's law. And what we've got to understand tonight is that he did all of that for us. He did all of that for people who are so weak and so wayward, just like Israel. But in Christ we are forgiven, and in Christ we are restored, in spite of our weakness and waywardness. What that also means is that in Christ we are holy. That holiness places a call on our life to stay different, to keep the church salty, we'll say. Not to drift with the current of the world around you, but to row with all of your might that is ultimately God's might in the opposite direction. Because in Christ, we are strong. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful for the love of Jesus. We are his little ones who belong to him, and we are weak. He is strong. And our God... We ask that you would forgive us for our waywardness and help us in our weakness. Renew our trust in him. 
renew our commitment and loyalty exclusively to you and keep us from drifting with the tide. Help us to row with all our might in the direction you've called us to, to stay on that way that you've set before us, turning neither to the right nor to the left until you bring us safely home. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.